You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Dear Heavenly Father, um, I pray that you come and fill this place with your spirit. I pray that you would give us more insight into who you are and how we can love you more. And Lord, I just pray that you would sanctify us in your truth today. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you all so much for coming. Thank you for coming to hear more about 2 Timothy. Um, this is the second and last class on 2 Timothy, so coming for the right time. This is hopefully not the last message, but maybe. Um, so, because a lot of y'all are new faces to me, you weren't here last time, I'll go ahead and just give you kind of a primer on 2 Timothy and what we talked about last time, and then we'll get into the second chapter. So for those who were here last time, what do you remember about Timothy? Who was he? Or for those who are not here, what do we know? He immediately followed Paul. Yeah, yeah. When Paul was passing through these cities, he came across Timothy. He heard all these good rumors about him. He just took him with him. He just followed. Um, And from that point on, Timothy was Paul's child in the faith. And so... Late to the party. <laughs> um, yeah, Timothy was Paul's, or Paul's child in the faith. And so Paul mentored him, and he really entrusted him with his ministry. The work that Paul had begun, he equipped Timothy to continue in. And um, this letter that we're in, 2 Timothy, is Paul's last letter that he ever writes. So Paul's in a Roman prison. He is about to become a martyr for the faith. And He writes this to Timothy, and he's saying to him, basically, to continue in the faith and to continue in this generational vision for ministry. Um, He wants him to entrust what he calls the good deposit to faithful men. So the good deposit is filled with every good thing. It's everything that Paul has passed down to Timothy, but it's the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ died to save sinners, called them to be in relationship with God, It's scripture and God's word, and then it's this lifestyle of faith. So all those three things, the best things, wrapped up in one deposit, and Paul has entrusted that to Timothy, and he's calling Timothy in this letter to entrust it to other faithful men. Um, So he presents Timothy with this vision for a continued disciple-making effort, and that was where we left off last week with the charge to guard the deposit that's been entrusted to him. And this week, we're going to get into 2 Timothy chapter 2, um, which talks all about three metaphors and three ways that Timothy can guard that deposit. So we can go ahead and get in. I have to say, this is a borrowed PowerPoint. I'm not really sure how to work my computer, and so I had to get this from someone else. And there might be some weird pictures on the slideshow, so just bear with me. I think that that's Paul. I'm not even sure. I don't really know how to delete a slide either, so <laughs> I'm just going to go with it. Um, but beginning with 2 Timothy chapter 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So right off the bat, as Timothy has just received this charge from Paul, as we've received this charge from Paul, Paul reminds him to begin in the gospel. Um, strength, grace, and Jesus is really the theme of this first verse. So the good deposit, what Paul has entrusted to Timothy, to Timothy and what he's received, um, that's what's going to enable him to stand firm and to continue and sharing that with others. So he gives 
Timothy this call to remember Christ. And something else that he wants him to remember, and this is something that we saw in chapter one, was that he said that he is confident that Christ is going to guard the deposit. So he's confident that Christ cares more about this than we do, than Timothy does, um, that Christ is ultimately going to be the one who preserves the gospel. And so as Timothy is called to stand firm and to continue in the faith, he also is reminded that Christ will be the one who's holding him secure. And then we see in the next verse this continuation of um, Paul's ministry. So it's the generational vision for passing down the gospel. So what Timothy has received from Paul, he's to pass down to other faithful men who can teach others also. Um, This is the Christian life aspect of it, of maintaining the Christian example. So this is the instruction for Timothy. And then in the next part that we see is where he gives him three metaphors. Sharing suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So first we have the soldier. And what he says about the soldier is that no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. The second metaphor is the athlete. So he says the athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And then finally, the third metaphor (coughs) is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. So these are three metaphors for godliness that can guide Timothy as... He continues in ministry. And what's really cool about 2 Timothy is that he presents him with these three metaphors in chapter 2, and he explicitly states what they are. But then the rest of the book, he actually breaks down what each like metaphor is, but he doesn't directly name them again. And so um, what he tells us is to think over what I say, because he actually goes into each metaphor later on in the book. But for the sake of time today, we're just going to focus on the soldier. And there is a theme that runs with each of these metaphors, and that theme is just perseverance and continuing in the faith. He is going to have to take on an attitude of steadfastness. Um, Paul's reminder to him is to keep the faith. And so with each of these things, it's just going to be a long process, but a beautiful process of protecting the gospel. So focusing on the soldier. Um, actually, I'm going to go to this slide. <laughs> but... The other thing I want to say about this before we get into this is that Paul goes really hard with his literary devices. And so, as I said, he gave three metaphors, but then he also embeds other metaphors within the metaphors. So we'll see that today as we look at the soldier, that there's a lot to it. Um, So I want to emphasize this point. Think over what I say, because Paul can also be confusing. (laughs) So he requires us to think over what he's saying, and hopefully the Holy Spirit will illumine our thoughts. Um, but focusing on the soldier. So who does a soldier respond to? Who gives him his orders? The commanding officer. Yeah, the commanding officer. And in the sake of a godly soldier, who is the commanding officer? Yeah, good. Sunday school answer. So <laughs> beginning with verse 8, he writes, To remember Jesus Christ, the commanding officer. Jesus was risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Paul charges Timothy with this 
you know, calling and responsibility of guarding the deposit. Um, but what he wants Timothy to remember and what's crucial for us to remember is that Jesus is at the heart of all the work that we do. Jesus is at the heart of the deposit and Jesus is the one who's commissioned us to continue in the faith and to continue in sharing the gospel and, and preserving ministry. And so the, the two things that he wants us to remember in verse 8 about Jesus Christ is that he was risen from the dead and that he's the offspring of David. So what is the significance of Jesus's resurrection from the dead. What does it mean for us, for our salvation? Eternal life. Yeah, eternal life. Anything else? Death isn't final. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. (laughs) It shows that it was final and complete, that the eternal life that Jesus has bought for us through giving up his life for us, dying on the cross, death couldn't hold him. Death couldn't hold us. And so our commanding officer who's commissioned us to continue in the work of guarding the deposit, he's the one who's victorious. And the offspring of David. What's so significant about Jesus being from the line of David? It was prophesied. Mm-hmm. Prophesied. Yeah, prophesied about in the Old Testament, um, displaying that God keeps his every promise. Jesus is the one who reigns on the everlasting throne of David. And so Jesus has this power that comes with triumphing over death, and he also is the fulfillment of all of God's promises, which shows us two things about our commanding officer. It shows us that he has all the power, and he will receive all the glory because he's the ultimate ruler. And two, he is faithful to his word. And so the words that he's given us are true. we can trust him. We can trust him as a commanding officer. The other thing that we need to know about our commanding officer is that he calls us to love his people. And this is where the example of Paul steps into this. Paul says that even though he's preaching this gospel, he's suffering for it. He's bound and chained as a criminal. Um, but the word of God is not bound. So what we have to remember is that... Um, We're called to suffer and to share in Christ's sufferings as good soldiers. We're called into this hard task. Um, But I really wish there was something like eloquent I could say about suffering that makes us all walk away from here and go, let's suffer for Christ. Um, But really all I can say about suffering is that that's where Jesus was and that's where Jesus meets us. And so we suffer for the sake of knowing Christ, but we also suffer as Paul suffered. And it's for the sake of for the sake of God's people knowing Christ. Um, We endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So we endure all of these things. We endure opposition to the gospel or opposition to ourselves for the sake of others getting to experience the life that comes through Christ Jesus. That's what guarding this deposit is all about because the gospel, though it is in the word of God and though it looks great on paper, it works itself out through relationships and through people. And so we want to lead others into that eternal glory. And what we can remember is that his sayings are trustworthy. So if we endure with Christ, if we step into suffering, trusting that he's going to keep all of his promises, um, then we know that we'll win the crown of life and that um, if we endure, we'll also reign with him. So we enter into the battlefield for Christ with that mentality, knowing that he is good and knowing that we can trust him. I don't know what this one is. I think it's just (laughs) 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 
We're only fighting for Jesus. <laughs> okay. So with that in mind, knowing who our commanding officer is, knowing that we respond to Christ, knowing that we can trust him and we can trust his commandments, we have the audience of one. We're seeking to fight for him. Um, we're to think about the other people who are with us and to remind them of these things, to remind them of the good news of Christ and to charge them before God, not to core about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So at this point, um, Paul is going to move into a discussion about false teaching in the church and how as good soldiers who are entering into the warfare, um, spiritual warfare that's a part of this world, we also have to be on the lookout for those who are going to oppose the message, um, those who are going to corrupt the message, those who are trapped and might lead others into further um, just lead people astray. And so he reminds them, or he reminds Timothy to be aware of that and to build up people and surround himself with people who know the message, who are going to hold fast to the deposit. And so part of that is holding people accountable for their words. Part of that is continually being reminded of what the gospel is and sitting under it, um, sitting under the teaching of the word, knowing that um, every day we can remind ourselves that we've passed from death into life. But when we are constantly reminding ourselves of the gospel and constantly sitting under the word of God, we can present ourselves to God as one approved. And so we don't need to be ashamed of how we act in this world or of how we lead others if we're holding fast to scripture. So that's an important message for us and for Timothy is that there be people who don't handle the word of God correctly, um, but we're accountable for ourselves. And when we're holding fast to the word and not to what our interpretation of what we think it should be is, but to the words of life that Jesus offers us through his word, we don't need to be ashamed before God. So one of the things that he reminded Timothy about the soldier is that the soldier does not get caught up in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. What would you consider to be civilian pursuits? Mm -hmm. Yeah, worldly things. And what do these civilian pursuits do? Distract, distract. Yeah, distract him. Paul considers these worldly pursuits to be irreverent babble. And he says, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. This civilian pursuit that he mentions, this irreverent babble, um, why it's so wrong is that it distracts the soldier, but it also leads other people astray. So it will lead people into further and further um, ungodliness. And I would say Paul is more gutsy because this is his last letter, but I think he'd be gutsy regardless. But um, he gives Timothy a real life example. It's like, remember these two people, don't be like them. So he gives him the example of Hymenaeus and Philetus. They're the example of civilian pursuits, people who are preaching a message that denies one of the fundamental components of 
the Christian faith that we confess, we just said it in the Apostles' Creed, that we look forward to this resurrection. So these people are promoting a false religion, basically, that says that the resurrection of the body has already happened. Not Christ, but ours. And they're upsetting the faith of some. And what Paul compares it to is gangrene, which was something I had to look up. (laughs) But from what I understand, it is this disease that basically cuts off the supply of oxygen in the blood, and it just, like, poisons each individual member of the body. And so if we think about the way that that applies to us and the way that it applies to false teaching, um, it's showing that false teaching can poison the church, and it can poison each individual member of the body as it cuts off the supply of life, the gospel, Jesus Christ, the one who offers us um, life. And... um, it can poison and spread, not just to individual members, but also to the whole body, so that the whole body just dies. So this irreverent babble, this talk that leads into ungodliness, is the talk that leads to death. And Paul tells Timothy, and I'd say he tells us, to stay clear of this, to avoid it, because it will poison itself, it will die in itself, um, And the people who are seeking new life, they will find it in Christ, but not in these false teachings. And he also gives Timothy a little bit of grace in this, because the reminder for Timothy is to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So he says, God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Paul reminds Timothy to remember that... um, It's the Lord who has the final say in judgment, and so it's up to Timothy just to be faithful in what he does, but it's not up for him to, you know, dissuade that false teaching or to prove that they're wrong or to continue to upset them in faith. But Timothy's responsibility is just to stay in his lane and continue to preach the gospel, and those who are going to respond to it will respond. I talked about last week how the Word of God is just in Timothy and it's completely seeped into him and structured his worldview because that's what he was raised with. I feel like the Episcopalian Timothys in the room can also say that liturgy has that effect because liturgy just seeps into you and before you know it, you're thinking about things in terms of it. But verse 19 reminds me of something in our liturgy, which I don't remember where it is in the service, but where it says, Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. I think that this speaks to that, is that God knows those who are his. God knows those who are calling upon him. God knows those who want to protect his word. And so he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows our hearts because he knows the hearts of men. And yeah, we don't have to worry about the corruption of the world because it's not our responsibility. Obviously, we don't want to see the world be given over to it but again it leads to death um, and it's poisonous and we want to offer people life and the hope that comes through that another one of the metaphors that Paul embeds within his metaphor is um, this idea of vessels that are set apart for honorable or dishonorable use so in verse 20 he says now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver but also of wood and clay some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, and ready for every good work. If 
your child came to you after making mud pies and was like, I need a plate to put these mud pies on. What kind of plate would you give them? Paper. Paper. Yeah, you're not going to go, let me go give you my wedding china and put it on that because that's set apart, um, which is the same thing that's happening here. If um, you're set apart and if you're cleansed, you are going to be a vessel for the use of the gospel. And so this is, I think, where the gospel speaks to us. And what we have to remember is that we can trust our commander. We can trust that he keeps his promises and trust that to be cleansed from our sins, that has to come through him. Um, And so that's how we're set apart for honorable use as if we're cleansed from our sins. And we have to remember the word that God has spoken to us, that if we are faithful and confess our sins, then he is just to forgive us. Um, And also that already we're clean because of the word that God has spoken to us. So there's no, there's nothing we can do to clean ourselves. It's just through his word and through his forgiveness. Um, But when we receive that forgiveness, we are set apart. We can be used for honorable use and we'll be useful to Jesus in continuing to spread his message. Um, The other thing to keep in mind is that with the calling to stay away and stay clear of irreverent babble, um, it does matter what we consume and what we surround ourselves with, and so we do have a bit of responsibility in that. Um, But ultimately, cleansing comes through the forgiveness of sins, which is what we've received. And so, again, like that's what we extend to others when we share the deposit, is we extend forgiveness and grace and peace and life that comes through being forgiven and being set apart. When we entrust the deposit to others, we entrust them with this identity that comes through Christ of getting to be holy and useful to him um, and bringing about the kingdom of God in this world. Finally, what he moves into with this is the charge to flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. So the antidote to the unrighteousness in the world is to pursue righteousness through the word of God. Timothy is to hold fast to what is good, to continue in what he's learned, um, to call on the Lord from a pure heart, the pure heart that believes that they've been forgiven for sins. Um, Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they read quarrels. So stay clear of things that don't matter and hold fast to the word of life because um, I think these are out of order, but um, trusting that God's word is true and holy and trusting that God has set him apart and will continue to keep his promises. Um, And then he gives Timothy the example of what the servant must be. And this bird, I think it's ensnared. I don't know if that's what this is supposed to be, but I think that's a trapped bird. That's how we're not to be. But he says to Timothy, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. They may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So somebody who is ensnared can't lead somebody else out of ensnarement. And somebody who doesn't know the truth isn't going to lead others into the truth. But we know the truth. We, we have it. Um, so as the Lord's servants, we have to remember that that's what we're extending to people. It's not this spirit of quarrelsomeness or this need to justify ourselves because 
that's not what we're called to. That's not the example that's been set by our commanding officer. He, he doesn't have to justify himself, but he went to the cross, died a death he didn't deserve. Um, so we're to be kind and gentle, patient, to endure evil, to take on this attitude of long-suffering that comes with perseverance, knowing that the love of Christ is going to cover a multitude of sins. Um, because we want those people who are trapped, the people who are leading others astray, the people who are presenting these false teachings, to um, be given a spirit of repentance and humility so that they can, in turn, share the gospel with others and lead others out of ensnarement. Um, this is what the gospel is about, is people coming to know Christ and coming to love him and seeing that happen throughout all of the world. And so... That's just our prayer as we deal with false teachers, um, as we encounter ungodliness in the world. It's that people will be led to a knowledge of their sin and that they'll turn to repentance by knowing the truth. Um, so we can continue and sharing the word, knowing that it's going to work um, the way that God appoints. And it's up to us to just share it and to share it with those who are dying, to share it with those who don't have a knowledge of it hoping and trusting that God will lead them into repentance. And um, Paul ends the book of 2 Timothy. I really wish I could have talked about all the metaphors, but there are so many. But the way that he ends is with saying, I have fought the good fight, I have won the race, and I have kept the faith. And so all of these things that Timothy is called to do, though he has this high calling and this responsibility to preserve the word of God, to protect it and to guard it, um, these aren't things that are impossible. Um, they're not things that he is incapable of doing because the Lord has done them. But also, Paul's reminding him that he's done it. He's finished. He's fulfilled his ministry. So the call to Timothy is to fulfill his ministry in doing these things, following the example of Paul and holding on, holding on to the gospel, holding on to what has been entrusted to him and extending it to others as well. <clears throat> My hope is that we will continue to extend the gospel to others, um, that they may know the Lord, just as we do. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.